0: I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart.
1: Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. Number five, number five. What is leadership like in today's football world?
2: Good morning, afternoon, evening.
1: I
3: think it's afternoon by now.
2: I don't know. I mean, it's a tough thing about recording a podcast. You don't really know what time of day. People will actually listen to it. So whatever time of day it is, welcome. Mike Sealski is to my left. Les Bowen is to my right. Currently waiting on a phone call from Alejandro Villanueva, Villanueva. who, according to Michael Jack Schmidt, the Steelers <laughs> should not. No, I'm just kidding.
3: <laughs> he is not a centerpiece player for this. I
2: thing. also think that English is his first language. Yeah. I'm um, pretty sure, yeah. I'm
3: pretty sure you need to introduce yourself, by the way.
2: I am David Murphy.
3: Okay. Now we all know each other.
2: As all of you smart cookies probably have figured out, we're going to be talking about the Eagles, because Les Bowen covers them, and he would not have, we would not have wasted his time on anything but. Um, we're also going to talk about the Sixers, because everyone loves the Sixers. Oh, yeah. While we were sorting out some technical difficulties before the show, Bob Ford dropped a column that apparently says the exact opposite of okay. something that I wrote and today. Something that,
3: and something that I wrote last week. Yes. So we need to gang up on Bob Ford and just beat the snot out of him. Yes. That's how I feel. Yes. Less me- les you down with that? I kind of think
0: he's probably right.
3: It's
2: because you're
0: both old. That's That must be it.
3: <laughs> anyway, we want to discuss...
2: Anyway, the column was about Malik Monk. Yes. Uh, we discussed this on the podcast last week. Zach Berman is a big Malik Monk guy. I, That's
3: even more reason to assume that Ford is wrong.
2: I think he's a very nice player, but... I just don't think it's the kind of thing that you you go at number three. But we talked about that last week. We did. He's we might, a thing. We might get that, and we might get into that a little more. But before we do any of that, let's talk about Mike Schmidt. Okay. Because I don't know if you're aware, but Michael Jack went on sports radio on Tuesday and <laughs> dropped a little knowledge on the Philadelphia. If you area. listen
3: to Twitter, he dropped some truth bombs on. The Phillies and their fans about Odubel. Oh, is that what? Herrera. So
2: Twitter's coming down on Michael Jack's side.
3: Uh, a number of them are, at least, responses I'm getting. Um, people seem to think he was right about Odubel Herrera and Spanish-speaking players and leadership and all those sorts of things.
2: All right. Well, let's listen to what Michael
1: Jack had to say. Okay, I'm I'm curious when you look at Odubel because that is definitely not the kind of player you were. He's uh, rather undisciplined. Uh, almost the almost exact opposite. Exactly. Yeah. So when you see that, is that a guy you can build a team around? Like, what do you see? How do you project him down the road, Mike? All right, well, let's stop it right there, actually. because.
2: Okay. But, uh, anyway, give me your impressions of how this interview begins.
3: Well, I think the premise is off from the beginning. The idea, right. the idea that Mike Schmidt and Odubel Herrera are in any way kind of opposite players I'm not quite sure what Angelo is getting at there I think well that you know what he's
2: getting at He's well, getting at exactly what Mike Schmidt's about to say yeah he's
3: <laughs> I mean but but the presumption is off like Schmidt was not known as a blue-collar you know Pete Rose style scrappy right. player isn't he, that why Philip hated yeah. him?
0: but he wasn't flamboyant I think that might be the okay. point well, what but is flamboyant he, he didn't flip this yeah. bad I guess right, maybe right yeah that's what he's trying to get at I think uh but the whole premise that you're going to build the team around a Dubal Herrera, whoever said that? Yeah, I, I know. I'd, it's a I, stupid question. It, well, I don't know. I wouldn't go that. No, far, it's a but stupid it, question. It it sets up a false. You're, you're operating, yeah. You're yeah. Yeah. so it's stupid.
3: Well, you're operating off of a flimsy basis to begin with.
2: I don't under like. It's it, intellectually dishonest. You're not. No one's saying you should build a. Re- no, no one's saying you should build a team around a Dubal Herrera. He doesn't he even play like a guy you build a team around. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that would be the first a, problem right there. Yeah, it's not it's, it's not good. it's
3: not a fully formed, thoughtful question. It's not. It's not.
2: And it's like, like it's leading Mike Schmidt into exactly what he's about to yes, say. Yes, it's about. it's
3: very much like in a, in a dumb way. It's kind of like Tom Cruise leading Jack Nicholson and A Few Good Men exactly where he wants to take him. You okay. know, um, this is the thing we want Schmidt to say. Let me give a false exactly. premise with a question to set him up to say it.
2: All
1: right. So here's what here's how Schmidt responds. Okay, I'm I'm curious when you look at a Double because that is definitely not the kind of player you were. He's uh, rather undisciplined. Uh, almost, almost exact opposite. Exactly. Yeah. So when you see that, is that a guy you can build a team around? Like, what do you see? How do you project him down the road, Mike? My uh, my honest answer to that would be no, um, because. Uh, of a couple of things first of all it's a language barrier Um and you know because of that i think he can't be a guy that would um, uh, you know sort of sit in a circle with uh... you know uh four or five American players and talk about the game, you know, or, or, you know, try and learn about the game or discuss the inner workings of the game, you know, or, or come over to a guy and say, uh, man, you got to run that ball out, you know, or uh, some, you know, it just, just can't be because of the language barrier uh, that kind of a player. So that right there is,
2: was the, that that was the money. That that was the, that was the portion that you see quoted. Yes. Um, Yes. Your thoughts. Um, here are my thoughts,
3: and Bob Brookover has a column uh, on Philly.com and, and in the Inquirer today, Wednesday, that, that makes this point pretty well, which is that Odubo Herrera is about two or three times better prepared as a ball player than Mike Schmidt is as a broadcaster, in that if you spend any time around the Phillies in the clubhouse, the, the language barrier is, is not really an impediment to guys – sitting around and talking about baseball. I don't know that it is, that's the case anymore in any clubhouse in Major League Baseball. When Mike Schmidt, the final year that Mike Schmidt played Major League Baseball was 1989, the percentage of players in the Major Leagues who were of Hispanic descent at the time was about 13. It has since more than doubled. So it's incumbent upon everybody who's around baseball, who plays baseball, to be able to communicate at some level with the guys who are on the team and that includes the players themselves. And I don't know, Murph, you're 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 probably around more the team more than I am. I I haven't seen any indication that you know in in recent baseball history that a player's ethnic background has in any way stopped him from being a team leader. Look at David Ortiz in Boston, look at Carlos Ruiz in Philadelphia, look at any number of players on any number of teams. The idea that, you know, Odubel Herrera couldn't penetrate a circle of Tommy Joseph, uh, Michael Saunders, and Cameron Rupp because he doesn't speak English fluently, to me, is ridiculous on its face. And anybody who spent any time, significant time, around a baseball clubhouse or in the Phillies clubhouse specifically would know that.
0: Yeah, I think it's a bad take. And I, I kind of like Mike Schmidt. You mentioned 1989. It was so long ago that I was actually part of the Phillies coverage team that year. Um, it I, I think Mike Schmidt basically means well, but he's always been this kind of guy. He's always said really dumb things that he hasn't thought through and that he's had to walk back. Uh it, it, Paul Hagan, who covered the mm-hmm. Phillies for the Daily News back then, used to just say he's Schmidtie, you know, <laughs> he's he's Schmidty. Uh, that's he's a little bit Barclay esque in that way. He's not flamboyant like Charles Barkley, but he's very he will say something that makes you wince, and it's it's part of his personality. Yeah,
3: that, just a one one quick thing. Murph. that's that's the thing that I find offensive about what he said. It's not whatever racial undertones are there. I don't think he's racist. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are jumping to that very quickly. What offends me is the idea that people are saying, "Well, what he said was honest, and we need more honesty." Well, that's fine. I could I could think it's my honest position that. Uh, Frank DeFord was a lousy sports writer. That doesn't make it true, just right. because I believe right. it and I'm right. honest about it. And if if Schmidt had spent any time on Saturdays and Sundays at home games when he actually goes to the ballpark to be the Phillies' color analyst, if he spent a significant time around the team talking to these guys and finding out about what's really going on, he wouldn't have said what he said because he would have been better informed.
2: Well, let's be honest. I'll say this. I feel a little bit bad for guys like Mike Schmidt. I mean cuz like back in the day, a 70-year-old guy could just spout off like his poorly conceived borderline racist opinions and like not have to worry about the world challenging him on them. Hmm. Like
3: yeah, that I mean it's certainly easier to do that nowadays through social media. I'm kind of being
2: sarcastic. Like yeah, I mean like the world like the world is a Thanksgiving day table now, you yeah. know, and grandpa's drunk is not a mm-hmm. valid excuse anymore mm-hmm. And I think it's a good thing That guys like Mike Schmidt Are finding out I mean like It's just a poorly Conceived thought And now he's probably Realizing it as everybody Offers counter arguments To his thought Do you know what I'm saying Yeah I understand Like, it's a, I like, think it's a good you I, know I,
3: I think I'm a little More forgiving of A tiny bit more forgiving Of people in that position It depends on what Position they're in Like the same argument Was always used with Joe Paterno while he was Still coaching Penn State Right Well how can you expect He's 85 years old How can you expect him To you know to to not say silly things from time to time. Well, he's running a major division 1 college oh, football yeah, not, program. I expect him to say smart things.
2: Yeah, I I know, but it it's it's
3: uh It's like, almost it's,
2: like a testament to how messed up our world used to be that like guys like Mike Schmidt can get to 70 years old and still think that Yeah. a guy can't yeah. be built around because he speaks Spanish. You know, like it's it's I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, I, it's just because we used to not like he used to be able to just say stuff like that, and people would be like, oh, all right, Schmidty, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that we have social media and his yeah. opinions get out there, I feel like it's it's a healthy thing for public discourse in general that um, Mike Schmidt I, is now challenged on these.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I think the challenged part of it comes from him being a broadcaster. I, I, I do think that, I mean, there's challenged, and then there's, you know, Ostracized. And, yeah, and I, I'm saying, challenge.
2: like, I don't like. So, so, here's the thing. I agree with you. Where I think we're very quick. We're way too quick just to put it this way. Telling anybody that they're a racist is an automatic. There's no chance for any argument or discourse at right. that point because then the person says, "I'm not a racist." Then it comes. The fight becomes not about what the person actually said, but whether or not this person is innately flawed as a human being. Right. Do you innately know what I'm saying? evil, basically. Right. Yeah. And, and anyone. Who's accused of anything like that is gonna get their back up and swear that they're not. What we have here is a like. There's a there's a difference between ignorance and racism, right? You know, and this is an this is ignorant. This is not just ignorant, but it's like poorly thought out. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you say Frank Deford's a bad sports writer, you have every right to say that. If you back it up, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you can say, well, here's why I believe he's a poor sports writer, and you know. I think that he gets up on his high horse, you know, yada, right. yada, yada. This just, like, the logic doesn't make sense, and anybody who's been around baseball for the last 10 years knows it. Um, like, Hideki Matsui's... Yeah. Hideki Matsui did not seem to He be was the most guy.
3: admired guy in that clubhouse, uh, second to Derek Jeter at the time. Right, he also won playing. the MVP of the World well, Series <laughs> when they beat the Phillies, yeah. you know?
2: Yeah. And, and I think it gets back to the dishonesty. And, and, look, Angela, I think Angela does a good job. Like, he cracks me up... Um but it's just, like, a dishonest question if you think about it because it's just, like, no one's talking about building a team. First of all, in baseball, you don't build a team around anybody. Like, he mentions Roy Hall- – did we get to that point where they talk about Roy Halladay? That might have been I earlier know. in the interview. Well, Schmidt – so Schmidt says, you know um, – and really, when you listen to the rest of the interview, Schmidt kind of – Schmidt's just babbling, essentially. And like you said, Schmitty. it's It's Schmitty. Yeah. Like, every year in spring training when I covered the Phillies – we had it was called the State of the Schmitty. Yes. where Schmitty would come down and he would be a guest instructor, and no one actually wanted to talk to him because, like, that's what you get. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't make sense. Like the guy, just he's not like he's not. He, I mean, he's, he's a thinking player. while he talks at the right. same time. He's thinking. thinking. Like yeah. that's not his job. His job right. is to hit the baseball <laughs> and maybe talk about the baseball a little bit. But like, anytime you try to like introduce multi level reasoning into the situation like it just turns into this like it's just like he doesn't even know what he's saying half the time i think you know um and we would just dread it you know and you would have to sit in this room for 30 minutes and like listen to mike schmidt opine about you know steroids was what it was every year yeah it was just like oh my god yeah
3: i I mean i also find it ironic too to get back to your point about angelo and again angelo's been very good to me and you know i i admire him for what he has done as an entertainer in this town um, but it's ironic that he's he has subsequently become outraged. He went on a 10-minute kind of diatribe this morning about how people are upset at, or, or outraged over what Mike Schmidt said, as if you know outrage were not coin of the realm for what right. <laughs> sports yes. talk I, radio. Look who's talking. Yeah, bro. exactly. You know, hello. You know, um, but but what you know, look in the mirror, kind of a thing. So unless you look like you wouldn't to. Jump in for a second. No, I was
0: just going to say that that was why he asked that question that yeah. way. that's that's what he deals in. That's what he tries to create, and that's been very lucrative. Yeah, for him. hello pot, meet the kettle. Yeah. That's
3: kind of. What I mean, he's it's, but
2: for. it's interesting because it's it's almost like Schmidt started talking about the language stuff to get out of saying what Angela wanted him to say, which is this guy's not. There's just like a lot of. I think what made like I think actually like Angela. Angelo's question makes it worse because he like includes in there all those code words that you normally hear associated with Latin ballplayers: mm-hmm. undisciplined, flamboyant, like. And then Schrute all of a sudden starts talking about how he can't speak English. Yeah, you know it's.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he he basically like you know he laid the breadcrumbs along the path, and Schmidt started collecting them and eating them and just following them. Um, but I think, but I I think that's that gets to like a broader question, which is there are, you know. And, and Les, you made a good point with Charles Barkley. Like, everybody finds Barkley refreshing, and I do too. And, I, you know, I've, I've interacted with him on a limited basis, but I've always found him approachable and really a good guy. Dave Kosky always used to say, most former media relations PR guy for the Sixers, marketing guy, you know, most athletes are, you know, jerks who want you to think they're good guys. Charles Barkley is a good guy who wants you to think he's a jerk for whatever reason. But part of the reason Barkley is endearing and people... You know, he he says things that are outlandish and often are not based in fact. And that's the issue here, I think, with Schmidt. I do think there is an element of, if you're going to be a broadcaster for this team, like like, if you're the Phillies or if you're Comcast Sportsnet, and you're listening to a guy who is an analyst for your broadcasts, saying that the guy who the franchise just committed five years and $30.5 million to say – He's not the kind of guy you want around very long. Like you have to be going, oh my God, stop! Somebody tase him, you <laughs> know, stop him from talking. You know.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's right, and I, I it's as a broadcaster, uh, Bob Brookover in his column today in the Enquirer made a very good point. I didn't hear this over the weekend, but apparently, Schmidt on the air asked John Cruck about playing with Jason Worth. Yeah who got to the major leagues seven years after Kruk retired. And that's not like, you know, you don't stone him to death for that, but I- that's not something you should go on the air. If you're going to ask about that, you should do it off mic, and then, you know, Kruk can tell you, no, I'm I, I I'm a little too old to have played with Jason Worth. You don't do that in front of, you know, a million people. No, but again, that's
2: kind of schmitty. Like he just like lives in his own world. He's yeah. very yeah, yeah. He's just very self-absorbed and yeah. like I don't think he like there was if you actually listened to the broadcast last uh, his first year I don't know if it was last year or two years ago but like you could tell he didn't watch the games when he wasn't broadcasting yeah and he hadn't kept up on them the previous five like he would he would say things about there was one broadcast where he was talking about Ryan Howard as if it was like 2007 Ryan yeah. Howard you know and it, and it was just like clearly this guy you know, had not been watching. Right, and I think... Like, I think Ryan Howard's, like, in the midst of, like, a 5 or 60 slump or something (laughs) like that, and Schmidt, like, pops in on Sunday, and it's like, you know, Uh, talk about Ryan Howard like he was... Yeah, Junior Babe Ruth. Exactly. Um,
3: Yeah, and I think this, like I said, I think this gets to what we we as the public or what franchises and TV networks think the public wants out of analysts and broadcasters, like, do they want... like it was ironic it's funny that this all happened. Saturday I was over at my my parents' house and the ball game is on and I said to my my I asked my dad who watches every game. I said, "Do you know of anybody who tunes in to Phillies games, home Phillies games on the weekends on Saturdays and Sundays because Mike Schmidt is going to be an analyst." Like is there any groundswell? Is there any evidence to suggest that by having Mike Schmidt on they are getting back to what everybody loved about Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn. Like, there's none of that. It doesn't matter that Mike Schmidt is on and that he's Mike Schmidt. You could find Joe Blow on the street, and if he's interesting and it's and insightful, people will listen to that.
2: Before but that's, broad- that's not just Mike Schmidt. That's no, broadcast. no, but that's my point. I mean, is, Ben Day, you know.
3: But that's my point is that why is he on there? Like, what you know. It's almost as if Phil, the Phillies and Comcast didn't do their... They did no homework no, into this no, at all. They but just that's an industry. On, yeah, a, I like agree. Phil
2: Simms, like Phil Simms sounded like a guy who had just moved to America from Germany, had like read a book about professional football and was trying to explain yeah. what he was seeing, but like had no actual intuitive knowledge of the game. And it was like... Embarrassing and, and, and CBS finally. This is why Tony Romo is the lowest bar to clear. Like, he's got a lower bar to clear than when he replaced Quincy Carter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. He actually might have replaced oh Ch- Drew Hudson. Drew, uh, Drew Bledsoe, yeah. No, Chad Hutchinson. Was it Chad Hutchinson? I don't know. That that Cowboys quarterback thing. To kind of segue into the Eagles. Yeah, that it was, it was not, a lot of bad there. Like, that's the thing people forget about Andy's first. Like, Andy's a great coach. Donovan, great quarterback. But my God, the go back and look at some of the quarterbacks. Drew Henson. Dave Brown, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Dave Brown was there for them, but like the, the Kurt Co- Warner year. Yeah,
3: Kerry Collins, it uh, was okay.
2: It was Quincy Carter, um, yeah. Chad Hutchinson, uh, it, it, it was amazing, they, they had like three different, Drew Henson might have played for them. Yeah. Uh, well, speak, all right, so speaking of. And then the Redskins, you had. Uh, uh, Patrick Ramsey. Gus Ferrat, Patrick Ramsey. Yeah. It was yeah. Uh, Jason Campbell for a lot of that. He was was actually probably the best quarterback. He
3: was. All right, so getting back to, like, as long as we're talking about football players of the past, both of you guys wrote within the last few days about Jeremy Macklin getting released by the Kansas City Chiefs, and both of you kind of assessed the possibility of the Eagles making a play for him. Uh, Les, I'll start with you. This seems to me incredibly remote given the moves that the Eagles have made throughout the offseason at the wide receiver position. Is there really any chance of this happening, or is this just sort of, like, the easy... Hey, he was a popular and relatively productive ex Eagle. Wouldn't it be cool if they brought him back?
0: I think if Jeremy Macklin had been available at the beginning of free agency, uh, that would have changed perhaps the Eagles' plan. I don't know for sure, but, you know, Howie Roseman was part of the draft process when they got Jeremy Macklin 19th overall in 2009, and Howie loves to keep players that were high draft picks under his regime. I don't think he would have ever let Macklin go. I don't think he would have been outmaneuvered by Kansas City two years ago had he been charged then. So that would have been a very different situation if if this had happened in February. Happening in June is is a tough thing. It's a tough thing for Macklin, frankly. And I'm fascinated by it, and I don't know exactly why it happened in Mm -hmm. June. It's for a guy that the Chiefs really loved and that Andy Reid was at his wedding on May 20th, uh, it's a startling thing to, to have occur. But it makes it unlikely for the Eagles. They've ex- executed a plan. They have Alshon Jeffrey. They have Torrey Smith. They drafted two receivers. They have Jordan Matthews left over, whom they certainly want on their team. And they have Nelson Aguilar, who would cost them money to get rid of mm-hmm. still this year. Not a lot of money, but money. So y- I guess the question is, how good is Jeremy Macklin right now? Yeah. Two years ago, the Jer- Mac- Jeremy Macklin from two years ago, you would certainly Take. say yeah, he's the best receiver. The heck with Alshon Jeffrey. Find some room. Mm-hmm. Cut some guys. Get him in here. Macklin's coming off a bad year. 44 catches. He tried to play with a groin, groin injury. For some reason, he had a problem with drops, which was never anything that he'd evidenced mm-hmm. before. Um, it, and the fact that they cut him, it's kind of alarming. You, he was going through OTAs with the Chiefs. He
3: had, he had postponed his honeymoon, right? Yes, yes.
0: Was he like three steps slower or something? I don't know. Yeah. I I'd like to know more about it before I really, you know, jumped on that bandwagon. But He's up in Buffalo right now. This is the second day of his visit mm-hmm. in Buffalo. I would imagine if you're staying over a second day, there's a real good chance you're going to sign there. David Cully, yeah. th- who was his wide receivers coach here and in Kansas City, is the quarterback's coach in Buffalo. So a very strong Macklin connection. Obviously, Sean McDermott, who was here when they drafted Jeremy Macklin, is the head coach in Buffalo. And, the you know, half the staff is guys that either played with or coached for, right. you know. Uh, So there's – and LaShawn McCoy is like leading the the charge to get him there. So I think that's uh, much more likely. And there's also a possibility of the Baltimore Ravens who have Marty Morningweg as their offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think both of those things have to fall through before he gets to the point. And if he comes here, it'll be a one-year bare-bones deal you know, where he just didn't have a lot more options and what the heck, why not go back there and try to see if Wentz can make me, uh, you know, somebody can make a lot of money this year.
3: Now, Murph, in, in your piece on Tuesday, you, you kind of hinted and raised the possibility of, like, actually kind of you know, maybe scrapping Tory Smith and and not, not saying you would do that, but right. just it, the Eagles would probably have to do that if they were that committed to bringing Macklin back. Put your Put your GM cap on. Would you do that? Would you... From what you've seen of Tory Smith, from what you've seen of Jeremy Macklin, would you go that far to say, okay, we had this plan in the offseason, but now that Jeremy Macklin is available, we're going to make some adjustments so we can get him here?
2: No, and, and it wouldn't make any sense. Um, but I think it's a – so there's two kind of two different questions there. One is would it make sense for the Eagles to do that, mm-hmm. like from a utilitarian perspective? Absolutely not. Right. You know, I mean, just think about it. Even if you cut, even if you replace Tory Smith with mm. Jeremy, um, I think it might actually make more sense to replace Jordan Matthews with with, with Jeremy. Backlin. If um, you got something in return, right? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like, think about it. You got Alshon Jeffrey, Jordan Matthews, and Zach Ertz, who are already they all kind of make their living in the middle of the field, underneath the safeties. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, what what's the purpose? Of adding another guy like that. Like, even if... uh, Clearly, he would be an upgrade. He would make your wide receiving core better. But for a team that's $5 million on the salary cap, like, why bother, essentially? Mm -hmm. But I think it's a a possibility you have to take seriously because for whatever reason, and I suspect Jeffrey Lurie has something to do with this, but, like, it's a big old happy reunion right now. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like, Jeffrey Lurie's trying to, like... Howie wants
0: to get the band back together. Exactly. No but I think it's it.
2: I, yeah. I, I kind of think Howie's... Like, I don't know if you can but separate you know, Howie from Jeff. They but
0: didn't go after Deshaun Jackson, though. After all that talk right. that Deshaun was coming back here and, you know, Brandon Graham kind of hinted that it was in the works or something. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in the well, works. Well, that just might... They mean, didn't make any move toward Deshaun Jackson But he might Jackson not have been a favorite. He might have not been yeah. a Jeffrey well, Lurie favorite. Like,
2: here's the thing. So, like, if you look at all their... It, it, and the move that kind of drove this home for me because it makes no sense whatsoever, was the Nick Foles move. Like, cutting Chase Daniels and bringing in Nick Foles. If either one of those guys is starting for your team, chances are... You're dead meat. You're dead meat. It's like, why eat $6 million in dead money on Chase Daniels' contract, then give Nick Foles another $5 million when you have... T- it, it, it just... It, you know, <laughs> the only thing is sentiment would be the only the thing. Only,
0: the only way that it doesn't make sense... Uh, The only thing I can say about that is the whole Chase Daniel experience had to do with Doug Peterson and his deep feelings for Chase Daniel. They gave Chase Daniel way too much money initially, and then I think Chase Daniel wanted out of here when he saw – it was a very different situation than the one he came into. He came into Sam Bradford. He knows he's not ever going to be the starter here. Uh, I think Chase Daniel wanted out, and I think Doug Peterson – you know, insisted that they give Chase Daniel what he wanted. You know, it, which is, Doug doesn't control a whole lot on this team, I don't think. But for some reason, they've been very—they've allowed him to do this whole Chase Daniel well, dance. He, Chase
3: Daniel is the most expensive bone yeah, that's ever been right. thrown in the history of right. skeletons. I really mean, my is. God.
0: Really is. And it's—it's—it's uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a facet of D- of Doug's personality. I don't think he really exerts too much. You know, I don't think he tries. Right. To say no, don't draft Derek Barnett. Get me an offensive mm-hmm. player or whatever. But for some reason, he was really big on this whole Chase Daniel thing, and anything he wanted in that realm, they just gave him. And and you're right; it's cost them a lot of money and a lot of cap room.
2: But it, like it almost doesn't. So Chase Daniel then goes signed for nine hundred thousand dollars with with the with the Saints, mm-hmm. according right. to who, right. who, I believe have an incumbent qu- quarterback yeah. coming back. Well, uh, their
0: incumbent quarterback is is very significantly older. He's, he's older, held together yeah. with scotch tape right now. I yeah. guess that's the only thing. But it, much like Doug Peterson when he was a player, Chase Daniel is under the misapprehension that he is a real starting quarterback who can lead a team to the playoffs, and he isn't. And Doug Peterson wasn't. And you know, it eventually, one you know you you bump up against that reality mm-hmm.
3: uh hey for, a, for Doug a,
0: Peterson left here still thinking yeah he was a starting NFL quarterback hey, for, despite having given enormous evidence to the contrary <laughs> during the 1999
3: season God bless Chase Daniel he might be the smartest guy in the NFL I mean yeah. you know you got to hand it to him I mean when they when they cut him it was like dude you you just <laughs> you parlayed being five foot Nine and a half, and right, you know,
0: and somewhat athletic, somewhat athletic, yeah. and the
3: ability to talk
2: well into you know twenty one right. million dollars. You don't <laughs> always have to be smart; you just have to be smarter than the other guys. And
0: I will actually argue that Nick Foles is a much better back yeah, probably. quarterback than than Chase Daniel. I think Nick Foles can win you a game or two. Yeah, sure. He's yeah. not going to win you eight or nine or ten games if Wentz goes down no. and and get you and win you a playoff game. But if you need you know, if Wentz has to sit out and you need somebody to beat the Redskins, I'm not at all sure that Nick Foles can't do that. No, yeah.
2: and, and yeah. Jeremy Macklin makes you a better team than right. Torrey Smith. But <laughs> but we're talking about assigning a dollar value to this. And Absolutely, yes. Like, that was supposed to be – like, this whole notion of Ka- Howie is like a contractual – Joe. like, he he kind of just gets that through association with Joe Banner. But yeah. Like, this guy – like, look at the moves that they, they've made since – they've all been sentiment moves. Yeah. Like, oh – Like you could see the owner being like, like uh, uh, almost like an owner is pretty much just like a fan, you know. Mm -hmm. He's like, he doesn't see Nick Foles through a uh, an objective football evaluation standpoint. He sees like. Oh, twenty thirteen exactly. was fun. Exactly. Yeah. Which he doesn't see. He sees. He looks at Vinnie Curry and he says, "Why is Chip Kelly not playing him? Vinnie, Cur- you know, Vinnie Curry could have twenty sacks if he played. Let's give him. Yeah. <laughs> let's give him nine well, and a half million dollars well, a year. Same it. thing with Zach Ertz. Yeah. Like Zach. The Zach. I'm sorry. The Zach Ertz contract. He's making. He's going to count ten million dollars against the cap next year. Zach Ertz. You know, like all all of these signings together don't make any sense. Well, you know what I'm saying. Like you can't afford to pay three different tight ends. You know. A combined twenty million dollars, or fifteen million dollars, and then add in a wide receiver making nine and a half million dollars. Oh, and then let's sign another one because he used to play for us. You well,
3: know, and that and that's what's interesting to me is the, is kind of the push pull between Howie, the two sides of Howie, which is to say, I agree with you about the sentiment behind these moves. But by the same token, Howie has always wanted to be seen as a football guy first, right? He was the he was the cap guy, he was the numbers guy who wants to be the football guy scouting in Andy Reid's knee and now wants to show that he can do this. So so in the meantime, he's like drafting these young receivers who he thinks are gonna be his next set of Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin, Zach Ertz guys. Um, and I don't like those seem in opposite to me. The idea that you would bring back the old guy who worked for you before, but at the same time you still want to show that you can mine the talent you know, ton, yeah, you know yeah. the, 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 the quarry of talent to find right. the diamonds in the rough.
0: Yeah you're, you, this whole trying to erase the chip Kelly era thing is is unfortunate in some ways. you know you saw Eric Rowe, Leave here for nothing, almost. Uh, You know, there's there's a lot to be said about that. You brought up, Dave, Joe Banner a minute ago, and this is something that plays into what you were talking about, about the cap and the contracts. Joe was very successful. He always claimed that he was misconstrued about when it came to keeping guys here. Guys who left here were generally on, like, their third or fourth contracts. Mm -hmm. He always got the second contract. But he did it. They actually passed a rule against the way he did it, which was to go, after a guy had a really good rookie year, mm-hmm. go up to him in the second year right. and say, hey, it's a shame that you're only making $700,000. Right. Yeah. How would you like to make $2 million? Exactly. H- here's an eight-year contract. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, and this worked over and over and over again, and the players a couple years in would realize that they had, yeah, given away millions of dollars and would be unhappy. But he got that second contract. Well the rules are different now. You can't do that. Right.
3: You gotta wait till the third year.
0: Howie wants to get the second contracts with these guys. But He's it's not as yeah. easy to do it. It's yeah. it's much harder. Much more expensive. And and because they don't have the maneuverability they used to have, because chip the year of chip really gave them some cap baggage it's harder for him to do it early, with some of these guys. Mm-hmm. Even if he did it third year, mm-hmm. you know, it, he's kind of waiting until they're almost a free agency, like he did with Vinnie Curry, yeah. and they're paying what they construe to be market value, whether it is or not. Which is never what Joe used to do. Yeah, nobody ever signed with Joe right before free agency started, and they were going to go out on the market and make. Joe let them go out on the market. And see what they were worth, and if they, mm-hmm. you know, then come back to me, and we'll see, you know. Right. But it's almost like they're not—they're trying to recreate what was done before, but they're in a very different environment, mm-hmm. and it's just not applicable to what the situation is now.
2: Well, we're in th- let's talk about this year's team because we're in the f- second week of OTAs. There was also a rookie mini camp. Second week? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there was a rookie mini camp prior to that. Has anybody jumped out at you? Um, I mean, just don't even. Yeah. I don't even want to give you. Don't give me evaluation. But just like. Uh, like, I noticed Mac Collins doesn't wear gloves in mm-hmm.
0: practice. Mm-hmm.
3: We're talking about. Ju- when we talk about jumping out, we're talking about other than Paul Turner, just right? Just like give me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm, All right. Yeah. I'm glad just you're trying sure. to start
0: that band right <laughs> Well, the, the nature of OTAs. Paul is Turner, who's like still 15th on the depth chart. Yes. Right. <laughs> Fans don't get to see this, so I'll explain this real quickly. These OTAs, there's no pads and there's no hitting. So there's no way, for example, that tim jernigan mm. is going to jump out at you in this unless he starts a fight with somebody you know <laughs> or unless I mean, you're sitting against
2: the wall in practice at which point uh the entire practice will stop and yell at you yes yeah. because that's what yeah. happened on that's amazing that's amazing i, I think fan- i think people would be interested in that yeah um so going back to andy you, you but could, anyway but yeah, you sorry. asked me who was oh, yeah, sticking right. out sorry. i'm sorry but let's talk
0: about the wall thing afterwards talk okay. about that afterwards okay. it's uh you know, Matt Collins seems like a very serious, very prepared uh, rookie. Uh, Derek Barnett seems like a real work ethic. I'm here to, to learn everything I can. You know, it really has thought out, you know, talking to Brandon Graham about pass rushing and stuff like that. Whether How much of this translates to the field, I have no idea. Um, I, I think Wentz looks just fine. He had one day uh not this week but last week w- in the rain where he was kind of throwing all over the place and it's there's for some fans this is metastasized <laughs> into some sort of you know Wentz is all is up and down what are we going to do you know that that's not the case um you see Wentz taking ownership of the team in a way that he wasn't able to do a year ago which is is obviously crucial so yeah Russell Douglas uh looks Looks like a corner. Yeah. You know? it, it
3: was interesting to piggyback on that. Tory Smith on Monday, somebody had asked him about Douglas, and he said this kid is going to come along faster than people think. Yeah. That he's constantly – every time the two of them go against each other in practice, the play ends, and, and Douglas picks Smith's brain about, okay, tell me – why you ran the route this way, and what can I do to counteract? You know, what what has worked against you in the past to counteract that? That, you know, it was Smith was very high on just the kid's mind, you know, and, and trying to learn the ins and outs of the game.
2: Yeah, you can tell. Th- so, so the you can tell they like a certain style of cornerback because he's similar kind of to Jalen Mills in his mentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, very in your face, very physical, pl- like acts like he
0: belongs there. Mm-hmm. Like that's exactly what. Yeah, that's that's Jim Schwartz. Yeah, he wants that. And that might have been what
3: kept Eric Rowe out.
0: er, Yeah, Eric Rowe was a very quiet, understated guy. He wasn't in your face. He wasn't real aggressive. He's a pretty good football player. But, you know, (laughs) I mean, that's that's kind of the way these things go sometimes. And we'll see if Jalen – I love Jalen as a person. He didn't prove a whole lot as a corner last year. So we'll just see. I think what Jim Schwartz sees is – building a pass rush that is so unstoppable that the corners only have to cover for about 10 to 15 yards. (laughs) And that's, we've also seen that. And
2: I think that Russell Douglas is a better athlete than Jalen Mills and he's, he's faster, but that's, that's why he's in the third round. Yeah. Yeah, He can't. Right. And Jalen Mills, I like, I think it might, I mean, I love the guy, I love his mentality. I love his attitude. Uh, You know, I think just, just by that he can hang in the NFL, but like, even in practice, and let, let's keep in mind, we've only watched the, the, three and practices. this is why fact, yeah. the, the whole <laughs> Carson Wentz yeah. up and We have no idea if Carson Wentz is up and down because we're only allowed to watch right. one practice right. out yeah. of how many are there? You right. know? Yeah, about eight or nine so right. far. Yeah. So we watched two out of eight or nine. Right. So we have no idea. He can't be up and down yet. He can only be, he, you know, like yeah. it's it's –
3: Yeah. I mean, getting back to Jalen Mills, I
2: I think about, and you guys... But we've seen that. Like, he's gotten toasted on a couple plays. He just doesn't have the foot speed. Yeah. If he he bites on something, he doesn't have the... And Nelson Aguilar has caught him a couple times. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going
3: to say. Last year, that game in Baltimore toward the end of the season where Steve Smith caught a a touchdown pass late in the first half, where if you watched Smith on that whole play, it was almost as if when he lined up, he could have... And Mills is across from him. He could have turned to the sideline To the Ravens sideline and go, watch this. And then ran the route, and Mills, you know, Mills went one way and Smith went the other, and it's a touchdown. You know, it's, I mean, that's that's what he is. That's just, yeah. I mean, it's not, I don't mean to suggest he's an
2: awful cornerback. He's just limited. But there's a reason why guys, the 40 yard dash time matters so much because, like, in the NFL, the difference a lot is, is like, recovery speed. Like, the more speed you have, the more mistakes you can make, you know? Like, and Jalen Mills looks like a great cornerback until he makes that one mistake and can't recover from it, and the guy's 10 yards behind him, you know? I mean, and Rasul Douglas, I think, has a little more of that, but that's why he dropped to the third round because he just
0: tested, you know, he just did not have the agility slash, Mm -hmm. um, you know. Well, I also think Schwartz wants the corners to play like Seattle corners where they just grab the guy, and once in a while there'll be a flag, but...
3: But you take yeah. that. That's the yeah, trade-off. that's right. Yeah. I mean, that was... That that's was, how Seattle won that the Seattle's Super Bowl. was I exactly. wrote about it
0: that week. Yeah, you know, it was, that was
3: their entire strategy. Was, it was
0: unbelievable. You just didn't... I don't think Richard Sherman runs a 4 or anything, no. but, you know, you don't get away from him, and they don't call him. Right.
3: It was like... It's like... Um, you know the Knicks and the Pacers in the in the late nineties with or mid nineties with the NBA. Like, right. if you foul on every single play, yeah. the officials are not going to call it every single time. So right. then the a baseline Pistons. a baseline yeah. is set of how physical you have to be, and you just assume that your cornerbacks are going to win those those battles. You know, against the wide receivers.
2: So, so you were saying. So we let's get back to the access. Okay, two, two practices we've watched. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when Andy was here, you could watch everything,
0: right? Until the very end, when it became apparent that nobody else in the league was doing that. Okay. Also, that coincided with the rise of Twitter and people posting things about practice that he didn't want posted, uh, taking pictures of things. You used to be able to the, – the, w- the cameras for, like, Channel 6 and people used to be able to shoot the whole practice, too – But then people started, you know, tweeting pictures of formations and things, and and that all went away. Uh, So at the very end, Andy restricted things. But, yeah, there was a time when we had to go out there every day for this stuff and find stories to (laughs) write every day. And by the end of the spring, you had written every possible angle you could possibly write, and then you – Got together again a month later in Lehigh and wrote the same story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: it's funny. I can remember in, in, to, to piggyback on that point in 2012, which was Andy's final mm-hmm. season, um, I was covering the Jets in New York, and the Jets had signed had traded for Tim Tebow, um, and they would pre- would work him out in the Wildcat, and they would close that part of practice off. The trade off was if the media wanted to watch that segment of practice, they could, but they could not report about it in any fashion whatsoever. They could not tweet uh, about it. Yeah. They could not write what formations were uh, the Jets were using. Who did Tebow wh- – which direction did he carry the ball? Did he hand it off to somebody? If so, who tackled him, all that stuff. It was completely uh, – it was verboten. You couldn't do it.
2: And I'm of the opinion that we – the media has been its own worst enemy with regards to – like, if I was a coach, I wouldn't – I would get do the bare minimum with regards to
0: access because, you. I mean, you've got people – that's the way everybody does it now. Yeah, yeah. But
2: like, th- it, it, it it's a product of the times, mm-hmm. almost. You yeah. know, like I, it wouldn't yeah. be because I was worried about formations getting out necessarily. But like,
0: why am I going to force my players right. to have people charting yeah. their like, you know, yeah. path? Like, and you, like yeah, that wasn't part of coverage ten or twelve years ago. Right. Ten or twelve years ago, it was the newspaper beat writers and a couple of TV folk you know, out there at these OTAs, there weren't 40 or 50 of us, right. you know, and nobody was really, like, you know, putting and together advanced <laughs> analytics or anything yeah. like that yeah, off and, of... Yeah, and, and, uh, and that's
3: a great point, Murph, about the expectations it sets up, the idea that, you know, it, it happened again when I was with covering the Jets, and it happens now where you have people... Tracking Carson Wentz's completion percentage <laughs> yeah. during an in OTA and a drill, and it's like, yeah. guys, this does not matter, and you're creating yeah. the impression that it does, right. and that's and it right. and that leads to, you know, outlandish expectations. That leads to speculation on, you know, in media, talk radio, blogs, right. you know, our stories, everything like that. I was on a radio show last week and. The host asked me, be our eyes and ears. What's really going on at OTAs? And it's like, dude, Alshon Jeffrey's big, and he can yeah, make catches. Right. And that's yeah. – I don't know what else you want me to tell you.
2: Well, like a good example is is the um, um, the Broncos thing. Will Parks, the Broncos guy who tweeted out – did you see that? So so apparently he tweeted out video of practice, uh, like via Instagram or something like that. And, it, and then the video was like three – awful Paxton Lynch passes mm-hmm. and like he got in trouble for that yeah. you know because like it made Paxton Lynch look bad right but like look at that you know like if you send a camera out there you could splice together a film that makes Carson Wentz look awful yeah you know that's exactly and, like that's right. where we're at in this <laughs> day yeah. and age you know I mean you've got look back in the when there was a 24 hour news cycle like a day-to-day news cycle there was a natural natural contextualization mm-hmm. of W- everything that you viewed before you previously filed, you know, like you watched practice and you said, "This is what happened," and this is the context of which it is. If you just tweet out a picture of Nelson Aguilar dropping a random pass, like no one has any idea. Like it might be the only pass he's right. dropped all day. Yes. you know. Yes, I mean yes. it's it's not. It might like be the only pass he's dropped all week, given the act yes. the, the limited access. Yes. Or like have. even if you're like um like they came around last OTAs I remember and said. Uh look, we're doing 10-10-10s, 10, 10, which is essentially like both it, it's almost like a uh like a war game of sorts where like mm-hmm. both sides kind of know what's going on. Yeah. So like you can't really evaluate players based on these sessions. It's more about, you know, running through right plays and scenarios. Um but like people before you was felt compelled to tell everybody like, "Hey, this is the 10-10-10. You know, this is what's going on." Yeah. Because otherwise There'd people be all would, kinds people of would stuff be writing tweeted. like, "Of oh, yes. course, it went through three interceptions." Look, right. oh, and then all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah. everybody has a commitment in Philadelphia. Yeah. Like, wh- I guess my question is: It's a shame, but like, what is the benefit to an NFL team to allowing that kind of stuff to go on? Well, you know?
3: but the NFL is an interesting case study in that regard, and I think I think the NBA is too, compared to say Major League Baseball or the NHL. I mean, the NHL, at least you know here in Philadelphia, the Flyers remain very solicitous of coverage. Um, because they know in terms of relative popularity, right. yeah, Philadelphia's a great hockey town, but of the four major sports leagues, the NHL is fourth, and everybody right. acknowledges that. And baseball is such that because it's every day, that's an awful lot to rely on just your in-house people to take care of that. So right. you want Philly.com and The Inquirer and, and various outlets covering a team on a day-to-day basis. The NBA and the NFL are different animals completely, in that the NBA's players are so socially so active on social media, um, and have such personality, the whole league now is predicated on the personality and kind of the the gossipy nature of. Ooh, is Kevin? Are Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook getting along? And you know, what does LeBron think about this or that? Um, and the NFL is so big that, and, and so kind of technical in what goes on that you you can cover the NFL and be popular and not go to a single practice. You can just break down film all you want. You can be Ray Dinizer Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or um. Any, so, any of a so to answer your, that's
3: yeah. To answer your question, Murph, I'm not sure what advantage there you know there is to an NFL franchise anymore. I hope I hope you know Ann Gordon and the Eagles are not <laughs> listening to this, but I'm not sure what the advantage is to letting us see their soft underbelly in any you know in any
0: regard. Yeah, I think there is an advantage. I, I think while the NFL is extremely popular, there are some disturbing trends in in viewership habits and ticket-buying and so forth. Uh, I think they need us to kind of keep people primed for this, yeah. interested in this, knowing which jersey they want to buy and so forth. I, I, I think they would definitely miss it if it weren't there. Um, I think it's good for their product, ultimately. Mm-hmm. This is, however, this was Chip Kelly's favorite Bugaboo, and it's kind of true. There's more media here on a daily basis than in, around any other team in the National Football League, and yeah. I'm including the New York Giants because there are two teams in New York. Right. A there are two
3: teams, and B football is not the right. number one sport baseball in New York. Baseball is. Baseball an, uh, yeah,
0: is. It, and that is not the case in Philadelphia. Right. And well, we also have the Philadelphia area has all the suburbs with all the papers, right. and New York doesn't this doesn't is the biggest either. market where football. You know, obviously Green Bay football matters more than anything else, but there's nobody in Green Bay. You know. The media market there is tiny. This is the biggest market in the United States where football is king. <laughs> and I, I'll kno- I've told this story a bunch of times, but like three or four years ago I was at a I, – I, I did a Sean McDermott story when he was the Panthers defensive coordinator. I went to some of their practices before a playoff game, and they had like 30 reporters there and a bunch of national people. And there was a player taking video. Of the fact that there were thirty reporters in his <laughs> locker room, he had never seen this before. That's like Tuesday, yeah. Here, you know, I mean, it, it's it it's true. <laughs> it's
3: true. Look at the look at the team that represented the NFC last year in the Super Bowl, the Falcons. I've yeah. covered them during leads in the playoff weeks, and they there are five reporters in their locker room right four days before a playoff game. I mean, that's yeah. crazy. It would never happen yeah. here.
2: Ever. Who you, who would you say is number two? Because the only other team like. The Cowboys, I feel like, have always struck me as a team that yes, has a lot of media. Yes. Yeah.
3: Yes. That like is, that's the that only is other comparable.
0: That's the, that's the one right there. That's the one that's comparable. There are other big markets like Chicago, obviously, but again.
3: I think the, New England's probably
0: gotten to the point the now. The Cubs are the yeah. team in Chicago that everybody mm-hmm. follows. New England, it's still weird, though, Mike, because the team plays and practices 45 minutes away from mm-hmm. Boston, and the Red Sox are still yeah. the, the king of that market. Uh, they do have media, you know, but it's – I don't get the – I don't think the connection with the fan base, even though they won all these Super Bowls, nobody goes out to Foxborough to watch practice, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really weird. It's, uh, it's a very different situation in it, here.
3: It, it's, it's different from the standpoint of how – I mean, it's almost collegiate in the way that they have taken Foxborough and turned it into a destination. It's, it strikes yeah. me as almost yeah. similar to what's happened with State College in that right. if you go to Gillette Stadium – there's a mini city around that stadium with a movie theater and a mall, and it's like this gleaming uh, dot of modernity amid, you know, the just farms in, of the New farms England. of New yeah. England. Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's exactly what John Adams, yeah, that's had, what in, they had mind in mind <laughs> when <laughs> you know. So what was so? What I mentioned the wall. The, Andy had this thing too, and apparently Doug has it. Mm-hmm. We were the media. It was raining one day, and. This might have been last monday and the mm-hmm. media all scurried yes. to so at the novacare complex essentially like the the fields are behind the building so the back wall of the novacare complex forms kind of like a backstop to the to the fields if you drive past you know south philadelphia by the hedges you'll see it um, so the media stands on the sidelines in front of that w- in front of the wall mm-hmm. be- in front of the back back wall of the novacare complex and were you there this day i'm talking about
3: uh yeah i was okay
2: so uh So it's raining, and and I guess – and a bunch of people, I guess, had crept under the eaves of the Novacare complex, and some were leaning. I think it was the sitting that that got Doug. (laughs) But, like, Doug Peterson himself, in the middle of, like, a rep, pauses what he's doing in the middle of practice, turns towards the media sitting on the wall, and yells, get off the wall. And Andy used to do this, but he would, like, send, like, a – I don't know if Andy would ever do it himself, would he? I think he would generally ask Derek yeah. Boyko to do it. But it was like it struck yeah. me like I can't – I don't know. It's just like a little like tunnel into Doug Peterson's mind that in the middle of his work day, he's right. still – in where the middle he practice, of, he's, he's still like even are. noticing. Yeah. Like I don't know if I would even notice the media. I, I, I don't What do
3: you, you make of that? Like, yeah, like, what, you, what? why is that? Like,
0: I, I got to think Doug – I haven't talked to Doug about this, but I got to think Doug does it because that's the way Andy did it, which is usually a yeah. lot of what Doug does. <laughs> Andy, Se- seven out
3: of every 10 doug dug-related answers are because right. well, Andy did it that way.
0: <laughs> With Andy, it it was some kind of weird old school thing where if the players were out there, you know, uh, and had to go through this, then you have to stand there and you can't sit down. Yeah, like you're not and, allowed to sit, yeah. take a knee,
2: crouch. Right. Like you, you stand. Do you remember the
0: famous story about when Ashley Fox was pregnant? No. At, at Lehigh, she it was a really hot day and she wasn't feeling well and she kind of you know, crouched down, and they sent Rick Burkholder, the trainer, over to, to tell her to stand up, you know. <laughs> I mean, that. yeah, it, it's silly, and it's stupid, and it's ridiculous, but th- there were some, originally, some of the rules, like, they I asked them when I first started doing that at Lehigh why you couldn't bring a water bottle to the sideline. Well, they don't want, like, a water bottle lying on the ground and a player to trip over. Okay, I, I can get that. Or a chair, you know. You can't have a chair there because a player could run into the chair, but otherwise, I I don't understand it at all.
2: And, and I, let me be clear, I don't. I'm more amused by it than yeah. anything. Like but I don't I, think it's like. Right. Look, God knows we all have our neuroses. Like, we've all got our little uh, picadillos and our our OCDs, and I'm not going to – I acknowledge that myself. Like, I do some stupid stuff that people would be like, "Why? I care. Why do you care? But But it fascinates me.
3: Yeah, and there's a difference between – like, the part I don't get is, like, there's a difference between running around and tackling each other and (laughs) throwing a football and not sitting during the course of that. And then having to watch that for two and a half hours, like, and also we're and, not and professional we are, athletes, right? We, you know, we're I mean, also in you know dress shirts
0: or right. polo shirts and right. and khakis. some of us, some of us might be you know handicapped or yeah. older yeah. or pregnant or you know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just not. It's, it's a just bizarre weird. way yeah, to it's weird. to look at. Yeah, like, I, I think it's
2: look. I think you should be in a perfect. I think. I think. To be, prof- I think professionalism dictates that you stand yeah. and not like you know, like it's, right. It's it's like anything else. Like nobody, uh, you know, nobody's sitting on the grass in the rose garden watching you know the president speak. Right. I, it's just more. It's so Except it's like a reasonable. It's himself, a reasonable maybe. thing. It, it's the fact that it's coming from the coach, right? Yeah, and it like bothers him somehow. Yeah, right. that like it's it's just interesting to be like I because yeah. Annie was the same. Annie was yeah. the same, and it interested me then too. You yeah. know, and it's more like well, whatever. You know, some people like count all the doorknobs in the house before they go outside yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. i don't understand that yeah. either but it's your thing right you know right. it's just it's it's it just fascinates yeah. me i mean and i think you probably maybe maybe you have to have a little bit of that to be an nfl coach i don't know maybe i don't know i think part of it is they they look at us as these like i just think that oh I there's just think definitely they look na- at us as like these like slovenly yeah they, like, they, they look like, at us as being slo- lesser 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 but it's just like oh they do. it's like they you do. guys come in here with your untucked shirts and your shorts and like then you ask us all these questions as if, like, you right. know better than right. than what we – you know, I mm-hmm. think that there's just kind of, like, that dynamic a well, little I do, bit.
3: Well, I do think there's something to that. Like, I do think that, you know, it's funny. One of the things
2: – Has Alejandro villanova te- uh, <laughs> called,
0: called you that. yet? Okay, I'm um, still Les waiting. Les is over here on his,
2: on his
3: cell phone. I have yeah. a feeling
0: this isn't going to work yeah. out, but we'll it's, see. It,
3: it's something, though, that one of the, the things that I actually remember – agreeing with Stephen A. Smith saying was that when he got started in the business and he... In sports and you do ready, remember that one time. I when do remember you, that any, one Everybody time. remembers the yeah. one time they... Which is that, and he still does this today, he always wears um, a shirt and tie because he's going to be professional when right. he's there. And I do think that when you're covering a game or <laughs> um, when you are at work... You don't necessarily have to wear, like, you would really look at a place wearing a suit and tie covering a baseball game. Yes. But you also shouldn't wear cargo shorts and a T-shirt. No. You know what I mean? Like And and sports writers very, quite often play to that stereotype of, like, we just yeah. rolled out of bed and we're going to show up. and
0: Yeah, and, we do. But it ha- depends on the sport a lot. It does. I've covered does. a bunch of different sports. And for hockey, you wear a sport coat and usually a tie, but you're indoors. Right. And it's winter. Yeah. No. that I, uh, If you're standing on the sidelines during training camp for three hours right. in 95-degree heat, yes, I'm wearing cargo shorts. And you know they're out of style now. Yeah, but they are. you can put your phone and your notepad and your roster and your tape recorder and your sunscreen and, and your, others, your and sunglasses. And th- your three-year-old yeah. son's toy dinosaur. Yes. Trust me. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean – yeah, I mean, I wear a dress shirt usually with the cargo pants, but you know that's no. Yeah, <laughs> I, I,
3: I I get uh, that. I'm not suggest, but you, I you I'm, don't
0: wear a suit no. for three hours of training camp. Right. If you do, you're gonna need another suit about halfway through. Do you remember Paul Sokolowski? Oh, sure. He used to Soko wear a shirt and tie every a
2: vest. day. He wore a vest. I tell you what, nobody looked less professional than him because he looked like he was about to pass out on the field. <laughs> it, it w- yeah. he would wear this like short. Is, where is? Is he still around? I I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's like the first time I've thought of him in like yeah, ten years. But long. he used to wear this like short sleeve button down shirt and a tie, and it was yeah, it was an interesting attire. It now was.
0: see, growing up in the South as I did, it's interesting with the short sleeve dress shirt. I have a few of those now, but for many years I didn't because when I was growing up the thing was if you're wearing a short sleeve dress shirt, you're the assistant manager at Wendy's. Right. You know, <laughs> you're not a business person or a professional. A professional wears a long sleeve shirt and rolls up the sleeves. Sleeves. Yes. Yeah.
3: It's interesting though, if you d- they seem to be popular nowadays. Like if you, yeah, cut them, yeah. if they're cut thinner, you can right. tuck them in, and it looks. It's kind a different of era. Different uh, era. Very. You, you know, know,
0: 35 years ago, you Every, were, a, yeah, you were a nerd. If yeah, you or you worked in NASA. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, dress shirt.
2: Yeah,
3: I mean, come on. If Apollo 13 didn't bring those shirts back into style, right.
2: then nothing did. Exactly. Um, I mean, you also wore pantaloons, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes.
3: We'll see less in, J- in July a training camp with a Zuba striped uh, pants. So on what are you?
2: What are you looking? When you go into Friday, I guess is the next practice. Thursday. Thursday. Actually, we're
0: going tomorrow. Yeah, it was supposed to be Friday, but now it's going to be tomorrow.
2: Oh well, now I know. Um, what are you keeping your eye like? What? What do you? When you go there, what do you? Do you look at something? How do you watch practice? Do you? Do you look at?
0: I want to make sure nobody gets hurt. Okay, that's job one. The very first. Uh, I don't know what I think they called it. They called everything mini camp back in two thousand two. I think. The very first of these I watched was right after the draft in 2002, and the first day, the first hour I was out on the field, Correll Buckhalter right. tore an ACL was right day. in front of me. Yeah. So ever since then, that's kind of what I watch for first. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I keep an eye on Wentz to see what he's doing, if there are no trainers around him and stuff like that. Uh, I do watch how the uh, – well, you kind of have to see who's there and who isn't because they don't really tell you. If a veteran is skipping that day, you know you want to make sure. Like it was really hilarious the Marcus Smith that (laughs) we stood there for two hours, and finally at the very end, somebody figured out that Marcus Smith wasn't present. (laughs) Uh, But and and then that somebody
3: was Jim Schwartz. I know exactly. (laughs) Uh, That was the coaching staff, by the way. Yeah.
0: Um, so you want to look at who's not there. but as far as really getting into the activity, I, I see whether receivers are dropping passes. I see whether Wentz is, is throwing it all over the place or is hitting the receivers. You know, I, I see how crisply things run, you know, whether they're getting in and out of huddles and, and whether they're stopping plays to say, no, 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 you're supposed to go in motion. You know. I mean, that kind of thing is really what I'm not looking at I'm really not looking at the lines at all because they can't do anything. You know, there's no contact. (laughs) So other than some footwork and some hand placement that are probably too sophisticated for me, standing 50 yards away to even decipher, uh, there's nothing to watch there. Again, unless one of them hurts himself like Tim Jernigan did the other day. He sprained his ankle. Um, So, you know, I'm not watching. I'm not paying nearly there are some people, as Mike was saying, who are trying to make a cottage industry out of this of charting every little development of OTA. That is totally bogus. It's fa- it's fake news, fake it's hustle. Yeah. yeah, it it has nothing to do with anything. Um, well, it's dishonest too, because again, yeah. you're dealing with a two-practice
2: sample size. Out right. of right, like there's no right. point in doing it because yes. you're not going to have a complete yes. data set You know,
0: fake news. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, Friggin mainstream well, media, just, man. Just uh, up, uh,
3: we have uh, Alejandro Villanueva?
0: This might be it. I'm going right. to excuse myself w- Thank here. you, Les, for joining thank, us. Yeah. All right. Good luck with your interview. Everybody yes. read his Let's story see. when it comes out.
2: All right. Later. See you next week.